You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Leadership. If I say the word testimony, what comes to mind? Maybe you picture a legal drama where somebody is giving testimony. Maybe you picture a service that you were part of where somebody was sharing what God was doing in their life. Maybe you picture a a moment of awkward crickets where people were invited to share their testimony and nobody said anything. Or maybe you picture what you had to say when you came back from a mission trip or another kind of spiritually intense and focused time. Of course, all those can be about testimony. And so today's guest is going to help us sort some of this out, especially why testimony is so important for adolescent spiritual development or how teenagers grow in their faith by sharing their testimonies. Today's guest is Dr. Amanda Drury. Uh, Mandy is the Associate Professor of Practical Theology and the Imaginarium Director at Indiana Wesleyan University. She's also a personal friend. So today is a great opportunity to chat with my friend and to share some of her wisdom and research with you. Dr. Drury is the author of Saying is Believing, published by InterVarsity Press, which was her research from her doctoral studies. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. If you are a pastor, if you are a student, if you are somebody, if you're a parent exploring how you can reflect and think about what God is doing in the lives of your students, your children, your church, today's episode is for you. Take a moment to listen to this word from our sponsor and then enjoy the podcast. We are Wesley and you belong here. My name is Victoria Borum and I am Wesley. I'm Lenny Lucchetti and I am Wesley. My name is Chris, and guess what? I am Wesley. Hi, I'm Tina Shapit, and I am Wesley. We recognize this beautiful diversity that the Lord has called together that is Wesley. My name is Corey Merritt, and I am Wesley. I am Wayne Brown, and I am Wesley. I am Colleen Durr, and I belong here. You belong here, too, because we are Wesley. Welcome to the Wesley Seminary Podcast, Dr. Amanda Drury. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much, Aaron. I'm glad to be here. Mandy, I'd love for you to tell us about testimony. That's what we're talking about today. So maybe we start with a pretty basic question. What is it? Testimony, if I go to what I think is just a basic definition here, I work with the understanding of a story you tell where God shows up. So obviously, I mean, there's legal ramifications to a term like that or, or a law and order shows with a dun-dun. I'm talking to other people about testimony. I try to keep it simple and just say a story you tell where God shows up. Well, how did you become interested in the subject? So I grew up in a church that would regularly have testimony services on Sunday evening, maybe once a month, maybe once every other month. And I always loved those services. And my father, who was the pastor, was always so anxious during those services. And, and as a child, I didn't quite get that. Uh, I would be sitting there and I'd see the, the microphones in the center of the aisle, which was my, my cue. Okay, we're going to hear testimonies. And I would be so excited about the kinds of stories we were going to hear. And I remember my dad just almost tensing up, especially when certain people talked or certain stories came out. And it wasn't until later, probably when in my 20s, when I asked him, no, dad, why was that? You always seem so anxious. And I loved those nights. And he made some comment like, well, it's like that Forrest Gump line. It's a box of chocolates. You never know which ones you're going to get. And so I was, I was fascinated when I was studying ministry that this practice, which I loved and I felt learned so much from was really terrifying for some pastors. And then I became a youth pastor and realized, oh, I, I get that. (laughs) I see that 
that terror that comes in turning over the microphone to someone else and allowing them to say whatever it is uh, that comes to mind for them. Now, I know there's different ways of doing testimony, but that was my initial introduction. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of reflecting on how so much of the internet has become a forum for testimony, right? You, I mean, switch uh, a story where where God shows up or a story you tell where God shows up to a story you tell where you know, fill in the blank shows up, right? And people give their account of, of something meaningful that happened to them. And uh, maybe I think like not just pastors are nervous about it, but, you know, being on Twitter is an anxious experience, depending on what testimony you're going to get or how people might respond to your testimony. And maybe that plays a role into the the next question I have for you as you're kind of unpacking this for us. And maybe this emerges from your own story. We already get it. One of the answers to it, as it was important to you in learning and growing and seeing God proclaimed in these personal accounts. But uh, why did you find in your research, why did you find that testimony is such an important part of adolescents growing in their faith? Sure. So early in my doctoral programs, I read a book. Let's see here. It was Charles Taylor, a nice Canadian philosopher for you there, Aaron. Uh, Charles Taylor, The Ethics of Authenticity. And I remember one line just really sticking out to me. And it was something along the lines of that young people will engage in their most authentic selves when they're able to articulate who it is they say they are. And that beliefs are often maintained and strengthened in conversation with one another. So it's almost like we, we talk ourselves into, into being. You know, so much, so much of our faith revolves around words. Well, okay, so if, if you're familiar with the concept of, of speech acts, speech act, so this would be J.L. Austin out of, I don't know, somewhere in the UK. But he talks about how words aren't just, they're not just things that we say, they actually change things. So you look at marriage vows, they're just words. Uh, will you, will you, I will, I do, I now pronounce you, but they create something new. Or you look at phrases like, I'm sorry, or I love you. They're, they're just words, and yet they're game changers in relationships. I mean, you look at, let there be light. It's, it's God speaking words that call things into existence. And so I think there is something powerful about being able to articulate what we, what we believe about God, where we see God present in our life, where it's not just words that we're saying, but somehow we are constructing something new within our spiritual lives, within our very identities. Yeah, I'm thinking about speech act theory. So words words do something, right? They don't just name things. They actually they actually do things. And I was thinking about some research I did on my own maybe 15 years ago and thinking about how the story that we are are seeing God tell through our life by writing the story of Christ into our lives how reflecting on the story is made possible whenever we have people who are listening to us try to articulate what the story is. And so automatically there's a, a game change, right? The game is changed whenever there's a person speaking and, there, and there's a person listening to that, to that speech. And there, there's two experiences that kind of come to mind because of how big a risk that is. One is sometimes words are out of my mouth and I wish I could like get a lasso and throw it around the word and stuff it back in because man, it, it was out of my mouth before I realized uh, what it, what it was. And at the same time, it revealed something about me, right? There, the, the speech act uh, wasn't something that just did something. It was something that revealed something to me. The other thing about it though, is there's sometimes that the word itself starts to act as a symbol for something bigger that's going on, right? There's, there's lots of emotions or there's lots of other activities that are tied to the word and it kind of acts as the, as the big placeholder, as the container for it. So I had a, a friend express it to me that it's like words are bubbles and, and they can be fragile, but they can also contain lots of things within 
within them, even as they're carried on the air, the word itself can, can carry so many different things to it. So talk to us a little bit more about this experience with adolescence. So that's where your, your research focus was, was them being able to articulate the story where God showed up and that forming an identity, right, of who they were in that story. And, and as a result, what role they might be able to play as that story continued on. Why was this so important for, for adolescents? And what role did the community play in allowing them to become speakers or speech agents, maybe we could say? Sure, that's, that's a great question. I'll jump in there first of all and say, you, you mentioned that sometimes you say something, you wish you could lasso it back. And I think we've all had that experience of we think something, we say it, and then we go, oh, that sounded a whole lot better in my head. And um, Charles Taylor talks about how when, when we are not able to articulate these beliefs that they're often murky and uh, they have a hard time solidifying. And I think so often Christians in general, but especially teenagers, we think we know the belief in their head, but until we hear them say it out loud, they're not even sure what it is. So I talk to my students sometimes about how if they're writing a paper, sometimes they have to write themselves into a thesis statement or they have to write out their first draft to figure out what it is that they, that they actually believe. And uh, I'm thinking about when I was a youth pastor and we were having a youth Sunday where t- a teenager was going to preach and 16-year-old Jake, his hand goes up. Yeah, I want to preach. I want to be the one to do it. And uh, he'd grown up in the church. He'd been one of my students for a while. And I said, great, you know, why don't you come in my office? We'll talk through your sermon. And he sits down in front of me a week later and he says, okay, I want to tell the congregation to give 80% of their life to God. And I was a little bit taken aback. I said, well, that's, that's very interesting, Jake. Uh, tell me more. And he said, well, you know, I've got a pretty good handle on some parts of my life. Like I get along well with my parents and I've got good friends, but then there's like other things like my future. And I just, if I could give, you know, 80% of my life to God, that stuff that I don't have a good handle on, that would be great. Now in my head, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is not what we have been teaching at this church. Like, how is it that, that this is the thought that he thinks 80% is good enough? Uh, So it was fascinating for me to hear him articulate out loud how it was he was taking the gospel message. And so I, I listened to him, asked a few questions, and then um, actually took a piece of paper and ripped it into 10 pieces and said, okay, Jake, tell me the 10 most important things in your life. And he's saying, you know, drama, school, friends, family. I said, okay, now tell me what you know about God. He said, well, he's perfect and he loves me. And I said, okay, so show me which, which of these two pieces of paper would you not want this perfect, all-loving God to be in charge of? And I love his response. There was a long pause and he just goes, I see where you're going with this, Pastor Amanda. Why give God 80% if I could give 100%? And that ended up being a sermon and it was great. But, but I, was, I was really shocked in that moment knowing, boy, he could, have, he could have gone through his whole youth group career thinking that was good enough. And I mean, in some sense, I'd love it if people gave a legitimate 80% of their lives to God. But we weren't able to even see what his belief was until he said it out loud <laughs> on a lesser a more silly note. When John and I were first married, we had this teeny tiny apartment and he was gone for a weekend. And when he came back, he walked in there and looked around and just said, you know, Mandy, it looks great in here. Did you clean? Which would have been unusual. <laughs> and I made the comment. I said, no, but I left the blinds closed all weekend. So the dust wouldn't get in. And you know how, like when the sun comes through the window, you can kind of see those floaty things. When I was a kid, I thought that was dust. And the minute those words were out of my mouth, there was this long pause. And I just said, that's not right, is it? And John just started laughing. He's like, nope, that's not how this works. 
And so as a 22 year old at the time, the minute I heard myself say them out loud, of course I knew, okay, Mandy, that's ridiculous. But I think so often we can get these, these beliefs, these understandings in our head for whatever reason. And we don't really explore them. We don't really examine them until they're said out loud in the presence of another. Mm. One of the things my, my daughter said to me once, uh, she said, daddy, it's better to be afraid with somebody than to be afraid alone. And I think of that as the, the ways that our words are better shared with somebody than just shared alone, right? And we share, we have all kinds of self-talk and we get used to our own self-talk, but we also have self-talk that we're not even aware of, right? And sometimes we're not aware of it until we are in the presence of, of a listener, somebody who's interested and have the, has that kind of loving investment with us so that we're not afraid of what we're sharing, but can be this kind of mutual discovery. One discovering, especially in the context of testimony, what is it that God is doing in this story that I can share. And then the community saying, what is it that God is doing in you as, as we share? And I like how you said that this doesn't preclude preparation, right? This doesn't, this doesn't always have to be spontaneous. It can be one of those things where there's preparation and coaching and, and the listening can have multiple layers, right? There can be multiple ways that we're, we're prepping to share the story. There can be multiple contexts where listening is happening, maybe in the presence of a mentor or a pastor or one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, that can then be facilitated to share with the whole community, which gives a different kind of context for the, the testimony to be, to be shared. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting earlier, you mentioned something about testimony on, on Facebook or social media. And yet there is something special about having a physical community in front of you able to hear and receive and, and talk back to that testimony. And I mean, I don't want to downplay the importance of testimony online to a, a, a faceless a faceless um, location. And yet, especially with teenagers, I think they can fall into the habit of perhaps oversharing when, when it feels more anonymous. So mm. even though Instagram in some ways is, it, well, it's open to the entire world. In some ways it feels more anonymous because, you know, the teenager is not looking at specific people. She's not seeing people's facial reactions as she's talking. And so I, I, one of the struggles, I think, in testimony with teenagers in particular is to almost protect them from themselves, from saying something that perhaps they might regret a week later, a year later. There's something about being able to say it in a community where there can be reflection back to what people are hearing, follow-up questions, uh, things like that, that I think is very, very important. Yeah. When you think about the, the story being shared really is in some ways is the self being shared, right? It's not, it's not just words that are being shared. It's there's something that's, as you said before, there's something that is being done in the testimony. And so whenever we are sharing ourselves through the story, then we are entrusting that self to another group of people. And we never entrust ourselves without discernment at any other time in life, right? We don't, we don't entrust ourselves to surgeons without discernment. We don't entrust ourselves to cooks without discernment. We don't entrust ourselves to drivers without discernment. And like the world provides us all kinds of ways to analyze and to, and to rate, right? We have, you know, if you take Uber, we have, you have rating systems for Uber. We have health officials to, to oversee restaurants, right? We have medical boards and or there's all kinds of ways that we, we help people to make good decisions. And yet when it comes to sharing our stories, really sharing who we are, we don't have any of these kinds of official things. And maybe we, we sh I don't think we should have government oversight on what stories we should be sharing, but we should have spiritual oversight, right? That's the nature of the pastor is like to help us learn how do we appropriately 
share the work of God in our lives because that's sharing who we are. And, and so to have a, some reflection and discernment as to who should hear this story and when should they hear it and what's the best way to entrust myself to a community, obviously it would take some wisdom and some coaching and, and shepherding along the way. I think that just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so many of the teenagers that I interviewed that have been in the, the practice of testimony, the first time they testified, the only reason why they testified was because their youth pastor asked them to, or their pastor asked them to. And I'm, I'm saying testified, the, the language that a lot of them used was story, tell my story, tell a story. And yet I talked to a lot of pastors who are afraid to invite people to do that, you know, not realizing how, how, valuable that is for a teenager or an adult to, for someone to come to them and say, look, I think there's something really valuable about your story. Would you be willing to, to share this? You know, if, if, a, if a pastor can't ask you to share your spiritual story, who, who can? So you mentioned, you know, when you're, when you walk in, into a doctor's office, it's expected you're going to talk about a medical history. When you walk into a restaurant, it's expected you're going to talk about food. Uh, we'd love to have that same kind of sanctioned space for the church that, that when you walk into a church building, it's, it's just, expected that that's going to be the flow of conversation that at some point you're going to be talking about about God and your life and and how the two go together. I'd love to take that and just lead us into a couple of final practical questions. All right. So the first one is this, well, how can pastors and other spiritual leaders help people to develop their testimonies? What are some of the best practices that that you saw in your research or that you've developed or that you've taught as far as helping people to actually tell their stories? What's the best way to go about doing that? So one thing that I think is really helpful is to expand our understanding of testimony. So I mentioned when I grew up, testimony meant a microphone, someone standing up, spontaneous, sharing whatever it was they wanted to, you know, high anxiety there. But if, if you can picture a, a spectrum, a, um, X and Y access, four quadrants, okay? So if you've got four quadrants in mind, at the very top, you might write spontaneous. At the bottom, you'd write ordered, okay? So there's a spectrum there. Is it, is it spontaneous or is it ordered? And then if you look at the horizontal line, it might be formal or informal. Okay, so if you've got those four quadrants, that means that you can have formal spontaneous, which is what I grew up with. You know, you're in a formal worship service. Anyone can stand up and say anything they want. That's high anxiety right there. But then also, if you go to the opposite quadrant, that would be informal planned. <laughs> you know, maybe you're in a small group and you've, you've written out three sentences that you want to say. That's way more low stakes. And um, in fact, if someone says something that, you know, kind of makes you cringe, you can even talk about it right there in, in, in the moment. And so one of the first things I do when I'm talking with pastors is to encourage them to think outside of the spontaneous formal quadrant and to recognize there are all kinds of ways for people to testify that perhaps are less anxiety driven. I, I love the, the interview testimonies, especially if you're going to do something more formal. I was interviewing someone once for a testimony. And I'd met with him the day before. So I had a sense of what he was going to be saying. And, but on Sunday morning, when he's standing there in front of 3000 people and there's these bright lights on him, you know, all of a sudden he's, he's kind of scared. And I ask him the question, I say, Jorge, why do you want to be baptized today? And the first thing he says is, cause my wife wants me to be. Well, that, that's not exactly what I was hoping he would say. It was not what he told me the day before, but it's since not really a bad answer. I mean, to be honest, not really a bad answer. But since I was there next to him, I could follow that up with, uh, you know, hey, I know that it's important for you and your wife to be on the same page spiritually. What does this mean for your relationship with God? And he goes, oh, yeah, and jumps into the things that I knew that he wanted to say. 
So for pastors to remember that they are shepherds in this process as well, especially with teenagers, but really with anybody, that we can we can help lead people through these stories, you know, hopefully not in a manipulative way, but to but to not be afraid to stand alongside of someone and ask questions and to prompt and to um and to help frame their stories in ways that honors them and honors God. One of the things I've really appreciated and have seen done a couple of times is uh, as a pastor, I know that there's been people that I've been working with over a season, or maybe I finished working with them in a, a more intense season, you know, maybe like six months or a year before, and just being intentional about bringing that group of four or five, six people together with, with the knowledge that I would love for you to tell this, this group, what's, what God has been doing in your life. Right. And then you can maybe, maybe help to coach them along, or maybe just kind of give a time frame, like, you know, we're going to all have five or six minutes to share and we'll be together for an hour. But that kind of it's like a small group and each person is just going to share the testimony. And then you don't have a person giving a testimony to an audience, but you also, it's like the audience also becomes the testifier. So everybody's playing that dual role of speaker and listener. And I find that's such a a great way to even make fellowship connections, right. To, to remind people of the, the proclaimed word of God here in this testimony actually bound this group together, right. Actually made this group, not just disparate individuals, but actually a community of faith. And that's another great way I've seen people use testimony and it can be such a powerful and, and not, not threatening. And it's not in front of the congregation as a whole, right. It's actually, it's in a smaller controlled environment. Yeah. I was just talking to the pastor yesterday who was talking me through a 10 month discipleship program that he had created for his church. And he was saying that the second unit was all on storytelling and testimony. And that was the most popular one and this and that. And he wished he could have the same energy for the rest of the 10 months. And my response was, well, why not just incorporate that into each one? So you've got something on failure. You've got something on holiness. You know, what about a story was just a part of each one? So it's expected that you're going to be talking about each one of these. Um, the other thing I would add in too, Aaron, is a lot of churches that I talk to, they tend to do testimonies three times at, at baptism, at the end of camp, and at the end of missions trips. And that's great. I want to keep all those three times present. But but if we if our churches think that those are the only times when we testify, then we are sending them the, the signal that God only shows up in mission strips, that God only shows up at camp. And, and I want I want my children to believe that it's just as possible for God to show up in the middle of February on a Tuesday afternoon. And so to carve out these places for people to testify, to share their stories just in the midst of, of everyday life. The way I describe it with my students is this kind of perpetual advent where you are continually looking for those places where and how God might show up. And again, you're going to play with the language. And anytime, anytime those conversations can start at home, that is, that is such a gift. When I talk with parents of teenagers, oftentimes they're trying to start those patterns, you know, when their kid is 14, 15. And that's, it's a lot harder to start practices like that as opposed to when they're three or four. Uh, perhaps. But again, you play with the language. I remember when Sam, my son was three, two or three, and we're, we're working on, you know, noticing God. And I asked him, Sam, where did you see God at work in your life today? And he just threw up his hands. He said, I don't even know where God works. Uh, So (laughs) clearly my language was not connecting with him there, but finding those questions that are going to connect with, with your children, with the people in your youth group, your church. And uh, yeah, 
I agree. It's such a, an opportunity to be at work in the home. And just to, to play off the comment, like you said, if people are starting this at 13, 14, 15, that's a, that's a lot more difficult than if they're starting the habit of, of looking to or learning to look for God at work. Because when, when you know you're going to talk about it, you start to look for it, right? You start to, and, and if you're looking for something and you become trained to make it a habit of seeing, right? Seeing where God is at, at work in these, in the everydayness of life. And one of the comments I'd make to that is it's not because teenagers might be reticent or reluctant to incorporate it into their language, right? As an adult, if you're trying to start this process at any point in your family and it hasn't been a habit for you, well, just see how hard a habit it is to develop, right? You're going to, you're going to want prompts, you know, you're going to want a measure of accountability. You're going to want support along the way, not because you don't want to do this just because it's hard to form habits. And so I love what you said, you know, you want to play with the language, but one of the things I've found is having a few set prompts that we use, right? How did you see God at work in your life today? Where have you seen God showing up or where have you seen God acting? I think some of these we actually got from you, Mandy, at one of the trainings we had at church. I have found those so, so handy so that it's, it doesn't, consistently take the the spontaneity right to have something fresh and new but just it can become a very basic question that just gets incorporated into the you know the the lexicon of your family this is just a common question and and once that happens and you you start to build up patterns and you start to build up momentum to go along the way but if if you haven't made this a habit in your home expect it to be difficult and if you're expecting it to be difficult and it's difficult, then it's just what you expected. This is exactly what you should expect, but it's still worth it, right? Just because it's difficult doesn't mean you shouldn't persevere and shouldn't persist. It's so worth it just to in, develop this into the habits and places of, of your family. And of course, we do this at a, a common time, right? So mealtime, if you know, are sharing meals together at a common time, then we just expect to talk about this. And over time, that habit does get formed and then the habit does form character. So you're looking for God in the everydayness of life. Right, right. And, and I think youth pastors can play a special role here. So like, you know, we've been saying it can be hard to get a 13 year old to suddenly start talking about their faith. But I, I've worked with some churches who have uh, developed parent teenage events where maybe it's once a semester, they bring everybody together and there's food and this and that. And, um, and the youth pastor then serves as facilitator. So they'll ask questions. So, you know, a teenager might not want to sit down and talk to their parents about faith, but if their youth pastor has prompted a question then uh, there, there can be a little bit more willingness, you know, when you have someone in there who's kind of overseeing the event. And I've heard from so many parents and teenagers alike share, boy, I never knew that about my parents' story. I never knew that story about my dad, or I never knew my kid felt that way. And so there's an important role that the church can play, even in facilitating some of those conversations. It's a gift to parents, especially um, especially if they're, if they're nervous, if they don't know how to bring out these practices themselves initially. Today, I've been talking to Dr. Mandy Drury. Dr. Drury has written the book, Saying is Believing. Saying is Believing on why testimony is important in the spiritual formation and development of adolescents, published by InterVarsity Press. Uh, we've been talking about what testimony is, why it's important, what, what opportunities it presents, some of its challenges. Mandy, if we have a, a pastor that's listening in and they are just saying like, where in the world can I start, right? They, they've taken some of this in and maybe they got some initial ideas about friends or their home or, or maybe a service or something like that. If you were to, to help them prioritize, this would be a good place to start. What might you suggest? I would encourage parent, uh, pastors to identify places where people are already talking and then lean into the practice of testimony. So, I mean, it could be something as simple as announcements. If you have people that are giving announcements, see if you can take that very natural place of already talking and, and lean into 
testimony. So it's not just, hey, we have a Lenten soup supper coming up. It's next Wednesday at three at 5 p.m. But you say, hey, it's next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Here's what happened to me last year when I went. And so to look for those places where there already is talking going on and see how you can weave testimony into those places. I had done here the question, we kind of talked around it, but like you just said, look at the parts of, of your church's liturgy where there already are talking moments and then see how can it be infused with this testimony. I think is a great, great idea and opportunity. And of course, in their preaching, right? How do we, we weave testimony, what God is doing what, in our own lives into our preaching, I think is another, another opportunity. And then inviting others to share those stories with us as well. Mandy, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. We certainly appreciate you taking the time and sharing some of your your research and insight on the subject with us. Thanks so much, Aaron. This was this was a pleasure. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You being a listening community helps to make conversations like this possible. So you have facilitated a kind of testimony here. And I hope that you'll take some of that encouragement to also be a community that hears other testimony and starts to put faces to the stories that God is always telling through our world. Here at the West Seminary Podcast, we exist to introduce topics and resources for fruitful ministry, and we trust we have done just that today. If this episode has been beneficial, please like and subscribe, share this around on the different platforms that you access on social media and however else you might spread the word about what's going on here. Thanks again, uh, Mandy, for taking this time to be with us. Thank you, listeners. Thank you to our production team as well. Your work doesn't go unnoticed or unappreciated. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Trust you all. Have a good day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.